this week's teaching, Pastor Randy concludes the Growing Pain series and shares wisdom on waiting on God. So open up your Bibles to James chapter 5 as we learn how to be patient through suffering. All right, James chapter 5. Today we're looking at the theme, Waiting on God. Waiting on God. I'm going to focus on verses 7 and 8. And so let's read verses 7 and 8 of James chapter 5. Scripture says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. The Lord's coming is near. Did anybody hear me right now? The Lord's coming is near. Does anybody believe that the Lord's coming is near? Amen? The Lord's coming is near. That means we got to get busy doing kingdom work. That means we got to get busy, but sometimes we give up way too soon. Sometimes uh, we, we, we get impatient. This is what James chapter 5 is talking about. Be patient is what he says here, the central focal point of James chapter 5. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for the privilege that we have to be right here in your presence. As we've been worshiping you, we can truly sense that you, O oh God, are doing a work within us. And for that, we are grateful. Lord, we pray you would continue to speak to our minds and speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. We thank you that we have this privilege of being here today. Now, Lord, as James always is telling us, may we not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. We ask your Holy Spirit's anointing on the teaching of your word. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get into chapter 5 of James, as we conclude this sermon series called Growing Pains, we call it Growing Pains because James addresses some hard issues, and he kind of tells it like it is. How many of you remember when you were a kid, your parents used to discipline you, unless you were perfect? Was there anybody perfect that was never disciplined by dad and mom? Chalice, put down your hand, okay? Okay. Uh, when your parents disciplined you, they, you know, or, or when they spanked you, how many times have you heard this, this, oh, it hurts me more than it hurts you? And you say, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm not buying that, mom. I'm not buying that, dad. But oftentimes we experience growing pains. James addresses some hard disciplinary issues, and he continues to do so in chapter 5, waiting on God. Before we move to chapter 5, let me just do a quick review since this is the last of the sermon series here. In James chapter 1, we talked about the purpose of trials. We learned that God has a way of testing us. And when we pass the test, we graduate to a new spiritual level. James says that the testing of our faith develops perseverance so that we can be mature and complete. Anybody here want to be mature and complete? Amen? Then the second part of James chapter 1, we did this teaching called Walking the Walk. And we learned how God has a way of pruning you and I. Why does God prune us? He cuts certain things out of your life. He cuts certain things out of my life. Why? So that we could be healthy. So that we could grow in a healthy way. And that's, that was the main lesson of the second part of chapter 1. James here challenges us 
to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And then we got into James chapter 2. We entitled the message, Stretching Exercises, because he talks about how our faith is often stretched. God stretches your faith. He wants you to get out of your comfort zone and be stretched for the kingdom of God. As athletes stretch, they prepare themselves for the game. They prepare themselves for the victory when they stretch. Likewise, when you and I, when we spiritually stretch, God is preparing you and I for our victories that are going to come. In chapter 2, James says this, mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's so important for us to understand. In a world where many people are judging this person and judging that person and and many fights and bickering and debates, whether it be in the political world or other areas, you know what God's word says here in James chapter 2? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Then we looked at James chapter 3, and we looked at this, the poison of the tongue. Because the tongue can oftentimes get us into problems. The tongue, oftentimes we say things that we shouldn't have said. And I gave you this acrostic. You've got to think before you speak. As we learned from chapter 3 of James, when you're going to say something, think about it. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? If we walk through the T-H-I-N-K, we would realize that some things that we were going to say, we probably needed to keep our mouth shut, right? Let's have the gift of keeping our mouth shut sometimes, right? Okay. Uh, Here in James chapter 3, we also learn the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And then last week, we got into James chapter 4, and we used the title, Flirting with the World. We talked about sin. In chapter 4, James hits head on the problem of sin. And he kind of explains it this way. If you are in a committed relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope you are, a committed relationship with Jesus Christ, and then we get involved in sin, what we're really doing is we're cheating on God. Because aren't we in a committed relationship with God, but yet we dabble in sin? James hits his head on. That's, that can't be. You can't say, I love God, and be involved in sin. you got to cut it off. And we learned about that last week. Too many people are flirting with the world. We learned this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you want to pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. So now we get into James chapter 5. And let's look at this. The primary focus is this, waiting on God. Be patient, James says. So he tells us how we can be patient in different ways. Number one, verse one, he says this, your patience is tested with your resources. The first topic he uses in James chapter one, or chapter five rather, verse one, is our resources. Now listen to this. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. This is some hard-hitting teaching. Your wealth has been rotted. And moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields and cried out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men 
who were not opposing you. Let me stop right there. Wait a minute. What is he talking about? He's talking about how so many of us, even though we're Christians, remember, who is James speaking to? He's speaking to the believers. Time and time again, he'll say, my brothers and sisters. He's not talking about, he's not teaching or speaking to the non-believers. He's speaking to the believers. So if you're a believer, this is for you. That's what he says. Now, he's addressing this topic of materialism, belief in the almighty God, almighty dollar. Many people have a, instead of having a passion for God, they have a passion for riches. And some of you may say, as we read the first few verses, listen, you rich people, you may say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you realize that if you earn $25,400 a year, $25,400 a year or more, then you are in the top 10% of the world's richest people. If you earn $33,700 or more every year, you are in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. I have a feeling sometimes we don't see things in the right context. If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the people in this world. If you have money in the bank, money in your wallet, and some spare change, you are among the top 8% of the world's wealthiest people. I have a feeling we Americans kind of take things for granted. Do you realize how blessed you really are? Do you realize how blessed you really are? So, when James talks about the possibility of falling into this sin of materialism, can we just do some reflection? Because it may very well be you and I, just saying. Not too long ago, I was speaking to a man who was struggling spiritually, and in the midst of our conversation, he was giving me a certain number of reasons why he didn't have enough money to give to God. I don't have enough money to tithe. I don't have money to give to God. And in the context of our discussion, we started talking he made mention that he spends, on the average, about $200 a month on lottery tickets. And I'm thinking, I think this guy's priorities are a little mixed up. He has $200 a month to spend on gambling, but yet he has zero money for God. Now, that is an example of someone who is materialistic. Was he rich? In his eyes, he was not rich because he was struggling financially. But once again... Maybe I can put it to you this way. Here's a myth. Here's a myth. You don't, or the myth says this, you have to be rich to be materialistic. It's not, that's a false statement. It's a myth. Because there's some people who are not rich and still materialistic. If you don't have very much money, and if you're not happy, then you've got a spiritual problem. 1 Corinthians 5, 11 and 6, 9, it talks about the sin of materialism. It's listed alongside Other sins like drunkenness, idolatry, sexual immorality, uh, being a thief, homosexual. In other words, materialistic, oh, those are some, it's it's some bad company, as some people may say. So let let me, a quick three questions about materialism, and hopefully you don't say yes to any of these questions. Question number one, are you discontent with what you have? If you are discontent in what you have, you may be falling into this trap of materialism. 
Question two, are you seeking for money and possessions to give you happiness? If you are, be careful. You might be falling into this trap of materialism. How many know happiness should come from our relationship with God? Amen? Question number three, do you ever withhold giving to God because you have bills to pay or because maybe your finances are not in order? Well, maybe we have fallen into the trap of materialism. Uh, I know one guy who began to accumulate a lot of riches, a lot of possessions, and the more money and the more possessions he obtained, I noticed the less he had need for God, and eventually he walked away from God. Now, I will say this. It's not a sin to be wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. Joseph, Solomon. But the difference is these men of God had their priorities in the right way. They would give to God. They would bless God. God turned around and blessed them. It's not a sin to be wealthy, but I do believe it's a sin to be wealthy and hold things from God. That's when we fall into this trap of materialism. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says that those who trust in riches will fall. So there it is. What are you trusting? Is your trust in God or is, in, is your trust in money? Of course, Paul tells Timothy, you read in 1 Timothy 6, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Not Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money. What is the love of money? It's called materialistic mindset. Heard the story about a man who was driving his Lamborghini down the highway. He lost control of his car, and it veered off the side of the road. He had a guardrail, and it started down a cliff. The man, realizing that his life was at stake, he jumped out of the car, as he saw his car, his Lamborghini, roll down the cliff. The problem was that it was going so fast, and he pulled out that his arm got cut, caught in the seatbelt, and his arm literally was torn off. Mm. Blood was gushing out of his shoulder, and all he could say was, Oh, my Lamborghini. Oh, my Lamborghini. There was a trucker who saw it pulled over right away, and he stopped, Hey, I need to help you. And the trucker heard him say, Oh, my Lamborghini. The trucker said, man, I need to get to, to a hospital quick. Maybe you haven't noticed, sir, but your arm is missing. The man looked over and he saw his arm was not there. And he said, oh, my Rolex. Oh, my Rolex. <laughs> I have a feeling this man was materialistic, okay? I have a feeling he was focused on the wrong things. You see, money can buy you a bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Money can buy you books, but it can't buy you brains. Money can buy you medicine, but it can't buy you health. Money may buy you cosmetics, but it can't buy you beauty. Money can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a home. Money can buy you entertainment, but it can't buy you happiness. Money can buy you companions, but it can't buy you true friends. Money can buy you flattery, but it can't buy you respect. Just a thought. So James moves on to another topic. And I say, number two, your patience is tested with the timing of life's events. And we ask ourselves, God, why is this happening? Why is this other happening? He moves on from another topic other than materialism and finances. So verse number seven, he says, be patient then, brothers and sisters. Once again, he's talking to brothers and sisters in the Lord. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. And he says, see how a farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop? And how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers. Or you will be judged. 
the judge is standing at the door. Now, in my Bible, that word judge is capitalized. That means God Almighty. You see, James says, be patient. Wait on God. That's a problem because in our society here in 2019, we want everything quick, quick, quick. I need this now. I need it, and I need it now. We, that's the way world we live in. If the Internet you know, is, is slow, come on, I need faster speed. I need it faster. I want, it, I want things now. That's just the world that we live in. And uh, we get frustrated when things don't make our way. But here James gives us the example of the farmer. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I do know a little bit about farming because I've read about it. But I do know that a farmer, he plants the field, and he's very, he has to be very patient for the rains, the early rains, the late rains. And the farmer gets busy doing what he needs to do, but a farmer needs to be patient. That's the way you and I need to be, as James says here, in our spiritual life. We sow seeds, let's let God send the rain. That's why we say, Lord, let it rain, let it rain. We have to do our part, we sow the seeds, and then we let the Lord send the rain. But sometimes we get impatient. God, I sowed these seeds yesterday, and I'm not a spiritual giant today. What's up, God? How come? We get impatient. We get impatient. James, in verses 9 and 12 here, gives us four things about what happens when you lose your patience. What happens when you lose your patience? Number one, here in verse 9, he says, you begin to grumble and complain. You begin to grumble and complain. If we would spend more time praising God instead of complaining, then we would get out of our trial a whole lot quicker. Just saying. So if you find yourself grumbling and complaining, chances are you're losing your patience. Number two, in verse number nine, James says this, that judgment will come to you. He says, God is at the door of your life listening to every word you say. Be careful because God is watching you. God has, is right nearby you. And judgment will come your way. If you lose your patience, be careful. Then in verse 12, number three, he says, if you lose your patience, you're going to be tempted to swear. That's right. He says, you're going to be tempted to swear. We react, and sometimes it's verbally. And we talked about the poison of the tongue two weeks ago, but I want to remind you that God is listening to everything we say, but we are reminded the things that we say from our mouth is really a reflection of our heart. So James is saying, be careful about losing your patience. And then number four, in verse 12, What happens if you lose your patience? Condemnation will come over you. We don't want condemnation to come over us, but that's what happens when we lose patience. The the core of today's teaching is let's wait on God. In fact, digging deeper notes for those of you who like to get into a further Bible study for either your personal use or your, your connect group, we have copies over there. It's called Nine Things to Do While You're Waiting on God. And the reason we, uh, we, it's a great article, is because the reason I, I wanna, wanted to share that with you is because sometimes we feel that waiting on God is nothing but sitting back in our lazy boy doing nothing. No, waiting on God means that we get busy. Do you think the farmer just lays back and does nothing? No, he works on his field. He sowed his field. He works and he works and he works, and then he waits on the rains. That's what we need to do. The kingdom of God, God wants us to serve him and wait on him, and then we wait for the rains to come in, and we believe that God will do that. So here's the good news. What happens when you do wait on God? In verse 11 here in James 5, 
James gives us three things that will happen when you wait in God. First of all, he says, number one, you will be blessed. You want the secret to your blessing? Wait on God. Number two, he says you will see the fulfillment of God's plan. If you wait on God, he says you will see the fulfillment of God's plan. So many of us fail to see God's plan unveiled in your life and mine because we quit way too soon. We give up on God. We get frustrated. We get impatient, and we walk away from God's plan. And when you walk away from God's plan, you're not going to see the fulfillment of what God has for you. And then number three, once again, these are found in verse 11, you will receive God's compassion and mercy. When you wait on God, God extends to you compassion. God extends to you mercy. We must follow as God leads. Once again, it doesn't mean if we're waiting on God, we sit around and do nothing. No, that's passive Christianity. We're not involved in passive Christianity. We do what God wants us to do. Here's a myth. Being patient is being passive. That's a myth. It's it's an untrue statement. Being patient is being passive. No, it's not being passive. It's doing what God calls us to do. Now, once again, I want to tie this into the verse 7. Because in verse 7, he says, Be patient then, brothers, and wait, because the Lord's coming is near. Is there anybody here who believes the Lord's coming is near? Amen? Be patient. Wait on God, because what? The coming of the Lord is near. Now, there could be, and and I don't know for sure, but I'm going to give you a second interpretation of what James is saying here when he says the Lord's coming is near. Not only do I believe he's talking about the second coming of Christ, but I believe he's referring to something else as well. Let me give you the example of John 11. You don't have to turn there. It's a story of Lazarus. Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, along with Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. Lazarus was gravely sick. In fact, he even died. Mary and Martha sent a messenger to Jesus, who was a few miles away. Come, because your friend Lazarus is sick. Perhaps you know the story. Jesus did not respond immediately. He took his time to, to get over to there. By the time Jesus got there, Lazarus was dead. But once again, why did Mary and Martha call on Jesus? They were waiting on the Lord to come on the scene of their need. They were waiting for the Lord's coming to their particular situation. Because they knew that when Jesus would come and into their situation, there would be healing. Now, they even got, they ended up getting something better than healing. They got rising from the grave. Amen. That's even a greater miracle. My point is this, is that Mary and Martha were waiting on the Lord. They were waiting on his coming. Okay. So what I'm saying is sometimes when we read here in James, be patient because the Lord's coming is near. Could it be that he is referring to the fact that he's coming to meet your need? Could it be that the Lord is coming to meet your need? All you need to do is be patient about it. It could be. Now, I don't know. And, and to be honest, I have a feeling that James, James's message here has a twofold meaning. The second coming of Christ, but also the fact that Jesus is on his way to meet your need. Be patient because the Lord's coming is near. Okay? And we're going to do all we can to, to see what God has in store for us. Verse number 10, 
See, it, and here's another lesson we learned, that patience must be practiced in our trials. He makes a comment in verse 10, brothers, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He talks about how we need to have patience in the midst of our suffering. And I mentioned this because I recently heard uh, an art, read an article about a church in China that was assaulted because of their Christianity. 100 church members were arrested, interrogated, evicted from their homes, fired from their jobs. Early Rain Covenant Church in Shangdu, China, was a, a Christian church. And, of course, the Chinese government, we, hear, we don't hear a whole lot about it today, but there is persecution against Christians today. This happened December the 9th and 10th, just three months ago. And they literally arrested and, and just raided the people who were part of the church. One of the elders wrote a letter on the second day after all this happened. He says this. Now, I want you to, uh, when I read his letter, I want you to understand his perspective. Because James is saying, be patient in suffering. This elder had a fantastic attitude. He says, since yesterday evening until noon today, over 100 pastors, elders, staff, brothers, and sisters have been taken away. As of now, we still do not know where they are, or where they are at. And even if we did know, it would be difficult for us to help them. But thankfully, we know for certain that the Lord's loving face is shining upon them. They are gracious. They are within the gracious, sovereign providence of the Lord. He will be with them in the midst of the chains and trials. Those of us, brothers and sisters, standing on the front lines of the gospel war will earn great spiritual riches. Thank the Lord for being with us in this trial. Thank the Lord for cultivating us according to his true word. Thank the Lord for training us through the days of hardship. Thank the Lord for sculpting us through today's persecution. May the Lord give us great joy and true hope and make us strong through reliance on him. Wow. Do you see any complaining there? Do you see any grumbling there? No. He says, thank you, Lord. You're in control. That is a great attitude. That is a great, be patient in suffering, James says. What a great example. Likewise, sometimes your patience is tested. My patience is tested, and the question is, how do we respond? How do we respond? He mentions Job. He mentions other men of God. Job withstood. He was patient, and we saw what Job did and how he came through having a better second half of life than he had in the first half of life. Life lesson. Spiritual growth happens when you pass the test of patience. Spiritual growth happens when you pass the test of patience. A while back, I read a bumper sticker that says, when the going gets tough, the tough go shopping. That's a problem with so many Christians today. When the going gets tough, okay, uh, I, I'm going to shop around. I need another solution, God. I, I don't like your solution, God. I'm going to shop around here. And, and they shop around here, they shop around there, and, and they go for something better. Well, God, I don't know if your way is fine. I think the grass is greener on the other side. And they go shopping because they, they don't like God's will. They don't like God's way. So when the going gets tough, they go shopping. But I would rather say when the going gets tough, the tough go to their knees and call upon the Lord. As we get to the last part of James chapter 5, this whole letter, he concludes, and I love the way he concludes, with a challenge for us to be 
godly prayer warriors. Number three, your patience is strengthened with powerful prayer. Your patience is strengthened with powerful prayer. He says this in verse 13, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Amen. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I learned that verse, verse 16 in the King James many years ago when I was a kid. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Anybody agree with me? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, James is talking about not any ordinary prayer. He's talking about some deep prayer. He's talking about calling upon God. It's not any simple on-the-surface prayers like good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. No. Or now I lay me down to sleep. No, no, no. We're talking about powerful prayers. The effectual, fervent, fervent. Did I say that correctly? Fervent. Somebody say fervent. Powerful. You've got to get into prayer. It's not just a a, a five-second prayer. Now, God does listen to five seconds of prayers, but I will say this. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear your heart, and sometimes we just need to cry out for him. As we look at verses 14, 15, and 16 of James 5, I see four things that happen that makes prayer powerful that he describes. Number one, we see prayer becomes powerful when the anointing of the Holy Spirit is present. He says, Call the elders of the church. Anoint them with oil. What does that oil represent? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Am I right? An oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So not just any type of prayer, but an anointed prayer. A prayer that is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we pray so fast, the Holy Spirit doesn't even have time to come into the picture. I believe we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. Amen? We need to call on the Lord. And then allow the Holy Spirit to to do his thing. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. It's not some magical potion. But the Holy Spirit is what makes our, our prayers powerful. Anointed. Secondly, prayer becomes powerful when it is filled with faith. We read that in verse 15 when James says this. And the prayer offered in faith. You see, when you go to pray, it's not just words from your mouth. It's faith from your heart. God, I believe that you're going to meet this need. God, I know without a shadow of a doubt that this need that I'm praying for is going to be met. God, I know that you have all power on heaven and earth to meet this need. Lord, you've done it for me before, and you can do it again. That is a prayer filled with faith. Then number three, prayer becomes powerful when confession is involved. He says, confess your sins to each other. Sometimes we need to say, you know what, brother, we need accountability partners. We need prayer partners, people that we can confide in, people we can talk to, people we can pray with. And we can say, Lord, uh, I thank you for my brother, and Lord, I'm I'm here to confess to you, and I'm going to tell my brother that I need his, his accountability. I need to be accountable to him. And that's the kind of prayer that the Lord hears. And number four, prayer becomes powerful 
when it is done with others. He says here, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. What is the, this, the characteristic of powerful prayer? Done with others. It's great to pray by yourself. Amen. We need to do that. But something supernatural happens when you begin to pray with other people. Amen? Something supernatural happens when you begin to be in agreement. The Word of God says there is power in agreement. We need each other. And God will do something great when we pray together. That's why I say prayer becomes powerful. When the anointing of the Holy Spirit is present, when it is filled with faith, when confession is involved, and when it is done with others. And in a few minutes, we're going to have the privilege of praying. Before we do, i got to tell you this story. Margaret was praying for her son. Her son had lots of potential in life. He was gifted in many ways. But he made some bad choices, and he fell into a depression. Margaret began to pray for him and pray and pray and pray. She didn't want to give up. She was waiting on God. And then her son got into some legal problems, and Margaret's first reaction, God, wait a minute, I've been praying. I don't understand this. I've been praying, and now his situation is worse. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever felt that way? God, the situation is getting worse. I thought it was going to get better. But she began to pray, and she believed that she needed to go to the Lord more fervently. So what did she do? She called her prayer partners, her, her friends. They began interceding for her son, and now she had a group of ladies praying and praying and praying. They were waiting on God, and the situation got even worse. And worse, the prayer warriors intensified their intercession. There was a battle going on, and the answer didn't come right away. They were learning the principle of waiting on God. But the prayer warriors were patient, believing God to do something. And sure enough, a few months later, a breakthrough happened. This young man made a decision to commit his life to Jesus Christ. And shortly afterwards, the charges against him were dismissed. It was a miracle of God. But it took waiting on God. It took persistent prayer. It took lots of faith. And it took a powerful God. What are you praying for right now? Are you praying for a family member to come to faith in Christ? Keep on praying. Are you praying for a loved one with cancer? Keep on praying. Are you praying for a victory over a stubborn habit? Don't give up praying. Are you praying for wisdom to make a big decision? Keep on praying. Are you praying for a prodigal son or daughter? Keep on praying. Don't give up. Are you praying for a marriage that's on the rocks? Don't give up praying. Are you praying for a deeper walk with God? Keep on praying. Are you praying for deliverance from a critical spirit? Keep on praying. Are you praying for grace to forgive someone who's hurt you? Don't give up. Keep on praying. Are you praying for hope for the future? Keep on praying. Are you praying for money to pay your bills? Don't give up. Keep on praying. Are you praying for relief from discouragement? Keep on praying. Do you need physical healing? Don't give up on God. Keep on praying. Are you praying for a friend who's deep in need? Keep on praying. Don't give up on God. Are you praying for courage to keep on going? Don't give up. Are you praying for strength to make it another day? Keep on praying. Do you need boldness to share your faith? Keep on praying. Don't give up. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. Because God has the final word. God has the final word. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, would you speak to us right now in the name of Jesus as we stand here in this place with our head bowed and eyes closed. We thank you for the privilege that we have to approach your throne. Lord God Almighty, oh, I I just believe there's lots of prayers that have been going up. And there's some of us who are wondering, God, where are you? God, are you there? God, I don't understand why this has been going on. I've been praying. I've been seeking you. God's word for you today is keep on waiting. Keep on interceding. Keep on serving him. Keep on loving him. And don't give up. Don't give up because God has the final word. Would you repeat after me? Lord God Almighty, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Today, I commit to you my treasures, my time, my trials. I purpose to sow the right seeds in my life and wait for you to bring growth and spiritual maturity. I know that you have a plan for my life and I do not want to ruin those plans by being impatient. As I wait on you, I purpose to actively serve you. Amen. So be it. Thank you, Lord. Remember, being patient is not being passive. God calls us to be active in our waiting and not just sitting around and being lazy, uh, but in the waiting, in the patience, being faithful to Him and standing the test of time. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this whole teaching series on growing pains in the book of James. Pastor Annie walked through so many uh, applicable uh, life lessons from the Bible, discipleship lessons that could help us grow into a deeper relationship with Jesus. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. We're, we're concluding this series, but we're starting a new series in a couple of weeks after a guest speaker next week. So uh, buckle up. We're getting ready for a new series. We'll catch you next time. Thanks.